0: Welcome, we're glad you're here, um, we're glad you're here, especially if it's your first time or first handful of times or, or even if it's your 500th time and you've been a part of the church for a long time, we're really thankful to have you worship with us today. My name is Andy Campman um, and uh, I've been, uh, my wife and I have been on staff with the Stone for the last five years, we get to mobilize people, mobilize our church uh, to go to the nations and it's a joy to get to do that, really thrilled to get to do that with you. Um, and one of the things I wanted to do just is give you a quick snapshot in some of the ways that God's using our church, both here in Austin and among the nations, before we get started. Because sometimes we don't know all the things that we are doing, right, as a family. And so this summer, what's great is this summer, over 1,000 kids, mostly from East Austin, got to be mentored and loved through a couple programs that we have, baseball and volleyball or RBI and Total City Sports. Over 1,000 kids got to be loved on, and and many of you— over 300 of you made that possible. So thank you for um, just seeing those kids love and know Jesus. Yeah, you can clap for that. And then another 300 of you, uh, by the end of the summer here, we've got a, a handful of trips that are coming back yet, but over by the end of the summer, uh, 300 of you will have gone across the world on short-term trips to um, do everything. We've got a group coming home today that was in Germany, helping with the refugee crisis there. We've, we've sent whole families to Haiti. It's not just a college student thing. If you were wondering, whole families have gone to Haiti, which is unbelievable. We sent a crew on Friday down to Honduras to work with the deaf there. Yeah. Yeah, there we go, Honduras, come on, Central America, and, uh, and, uh, and what's cool, we have some long-term people there, um, and they're working with them, and so I just, I just bring those things up to let you know that God is, is working through our church in, in great ways. Today, um, we're going to talk about hospitality, hospitality, what is hospitality, why should we be hospitable, and finally, what does hospitality look like for us right here in Austin, right here in Austin? And so I don't know if you've ever experienced great hospitality. The first story that came to my mind when I was thinking about uh, this was of my, my high school brother. And, and um, the year before we got married, I had a really serious mountain biking accident. broke both of my arms and um, couldn't do anything. I was completely helpless. And there were several uh, guys that helped me out. But my high school brother, can you imagine? No offense, high schoolers. I know you can do great things. But my high school brother became my home healthcare aide, or whatever you're supposed to say. And and he had to feed me. He had to dress me. I, I mean, both arms broken. Okay. I mean, he had to help me go to the bathroom, y'all, and like take a shower. Was you know, had to invite a friend over, two person, three person party. It was it was a mess. And, um, and so I'm really thankful for my brother and the love and sacrifice that he freely showed uh, to me. Um, and I start with that story because it begins to give us a glimpse into what hospitality is. Gospel hospitality. Gospel hospitality is our intentional, uninhibited act of love to those around us, motivated by God's greatest act of intentional and uninhibited love toward us. Our actions toward people influenced directly by the gospel, God loving us through Jesus. Or simply put, the gospel radically transforming how we love people. The gospel radically transforming how we love people. And God calls all of us, church, today to to be this way, to be hospitable to such an extent that the people around us should, should feel that hospitality. Because Because God is the one who is ultimately hospitable, right? The gospel is about hospitality. It's God breaking into our lives, inviting us, welcoming us, serving us, doing everything necessary to make us his own. Because we were far off from God, right? None of us started out following God, a part of the family of God. No, we were enemies of God. And God broke into our lives through Jesus, showed us hospitality we didn't deserve, and made us his own. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God calls us to be hospitable. And the only way we can do that, the only way is if we have experienced being welcomed by God and served by God. Only then can we do what he calls us to do. So we're going to look at two different people, two different stories today, and learn what uh, they teach us about hospitality and what God says about their response. So you can go, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, and we're going to start out with God's hospitality toward us. How has God been hospitable to, to us, and what does that mean in our lives? And what we're going to see in this story is not just how great God is and what he's given us, but we're also going to see what happens when we don't respond with hospitality, but instead respond with gospel hoarding, which is keeping the gospel to ourselves. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be, to be made, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he, should be, until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then the, his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. So there's this king who wants to settle his accounts and he starts with a big one. A guy that owes him 10,000 talents. Now most of us, were like, I don't know what a talent is, but 10,000 of anything sounds like a lot, right? And if you look at your, your footnotes, you'll see that a talent, one talent, is worth 20 years of a laborer's wages. 20 years. And this guy owed him 10,000, so that's 200,000 years of wages. 200,000. Now, if the typical person lives 80 years, that's 2500 lifetimes of debt. Have you ever thought about that? 2,500 lifetimes of debt. Or maybe you're more of a, a finance person? The, the typical average um, income per family in America is fifty-three thousand dollars. And if you take fifty-three thousand times eighty years of work, that's four point two four million dollars that one person could make over their lifetime. But multiply that four point two four million times twenty-five hundred, what do you get? A lot. A lot. Ten over ten billion dollars, right? That's a lot of money. I don't care who you are or which campus you're a part of. That's a lot of money. Amen? Don't give me that, oh, well, I did some venture capital deal. You know, Come on, dude. $10 billion. 2,500 lifetimes, and the king forgave him. So this servant is in a lot of trouble. There's no way he could repay. And, and you know, he pleads with the king, have patience with me and I will repay you. There's no way. 2,500 lifetimes? And so the, king, the servant falls on his knees and implores him, begs for mercy, and the king gives him forgiveness. And he wipes out 2,500 lifetimes worth of debt. $10 billion completely forgiven. Jesus tells us this story to try and help us have a picture of how God has forgiven us. Because each of us, when we choose sin each day... We become enemies of God. We grow in our debt towards God. And there's no way, friends, that we could repay our debt. The only way would be to be separate from God. But God loves us. And so he breaks into our life through Jesus. And he says, I will take the debt that you couldn't pay so you could be with me. That's good news, amen? That's really good news for us. We, we can't understand the amount of debt our sin has caused, and we can't even imagine the amount of forgiveness we've received. That's why Jesus tells us this story. And this, friends, is the motivator for gospel hospitality. It's not about us trying to conjure up some niceness for the people around us. No, it starts with the king, a forgiving king. Jesus unpacks it like this in Luke 7. He who is forgiven much loves much. Or another way to say it would be, he who lives in the glory or the weightiness or the massiveness of his forgiveness, that person loves much. This is gospel hospitality. See, gospel hospitality, it doesn't just start with understanding the gospel. It's living in the massive crushing weight of what you've been forgiving and then letting that squeeze into every area and relationship of your life. And yet the reality is we don't often live like this. I, I, I don't live like this, friends. I don't, I, I'm, I'm a lot like that servant who has received great forgiveness from God but doesn't love other people in the same way. So what do we do? I, I live in gospel hoarding more than I live in gospel hospitality. And this is where the gospel is so crucial because God's revealing to us in this story that we have been forgiven 2,500 lifetimes of gospel hoarding, amen? He has forgiven us more than we could ever comprehend, more than we can sin. His grace is more than sufficient to cover all the wrongs, all the debt in our lives. And from that, we can demonstrate gospel hospitality. It starts with him. So now go ahead and flip over to Luke 19. Luke 19, story of Zacchaeus, we little man. If you grew up in church world, you know what I'm talking about. The song's going to be in your head the rest of the day. And uh, if, if you're not, if you didn't grow up in church world, you're like, why did he just say we little man, right? So that's okay. Um, we're glad both groups are here. And uh, Matthew or Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 1, Luke 19, he, talking about Jesus, entered into Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus ...who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. He, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came and received him joyfully... And when they, the people, saw it, they all grumbled and said, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But, or, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house, and at first it seems like Zacchaeus is being hospitable to Jesus, but what's really happening? Jesus, by going to Zacchaeus' house, is the one who's being hospitable. He's the one intentionally welcoming himself into Zacchaeus' house and serving Zacchaeus, because see, everybody else hated Zacchaeus. He was the chief Tax collector. That means he, in, he empowered all these other traitor Israelites who were stealing money from their own people. Nobody liked this guy. Nobody loved him. And certainly nobody was going to his house. Which is why when Jesus said, I must go to your house, it was such a big deal. And, and Zacchaeus responds by saying, I will give half of my goods to the poor. And I will rest- restore fourfold anyone I have defrauded. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to the house. Now, is Jesus saying that giving to the poor and restoring people you've cheated, that's what saves you? No, that's not, what, that's not what is happening. Zacchaeus is responding, his response is revealing what happened to him. Zacchaeus' willingness to be intentional and serve others is revealing what Jesus did in his own life. Zacchaeus' hospitality towards Jesus is showing Him experiencing God's hospitality. So what can we learn about hospitality from this story, about gospel hospitality? Three things. Number one, hospitality is intentional. Number two, hospitality serves. And number three, hospitality produces a response. So we'll start with hospitality is intentional. Jesus didn't haphazardly wander into Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He chose very deliberately to go through Jericho. And he didn't just say, huh, I'll just see which road, I, you know, see if there's any roads with, with well-dressed short men and in in, in trees. No, he chose that road, right? He intentionally chose that road. And then he intentionally invites himself into Zacchaeus' house and life. And Zacchaeus responds the same way because of those initial intentional interactions. Zacchaeus intentionally, you don't just give away half your stuff, right? I don't care if you're a poor college student or you're in your your 50s and you've done really well. You have to be intentional to give away half of your stuff, right? That took some effort, some purpose. And you think about um, him going to those he defrauded, which was probably a lot of people. Because that's how they made all the money. That's why they hated him so much. He had defrauded lots and lots of people. And he was going to go to them, not just wait for them to come to him, but go to them with a purpose. Jesus was intentional with Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus responds intentionally. And sometimes, church, I think we feel that being intentional is kind of forced and and it's awkward. And and so therefore, you know, uh, we just don't really like it. But listen to this. Awkward, intentional gospel hospitality is better than comfortable, organic gospel hoarding. Awkward, intentional gospel hospitality is better than comfortable, organic gospel hoarding. Let me demonstrate. Um, we, we got married, uh, moved into a duplex, we own half a house, and we share yards with our neighbors who are, you know, in their 50s, empty nesters, and I try to mow his yard every once in a while, you know, show him some love, don't think too much, I mean, it's like a yard like this size, okay, so it's pretty small, and, uh, but I try to do it for him, and he had, it was really odd, he had this tree growing up in the middle of his backyard, and it wasn't a, a pine tree, it, you know, it, deciduous, I think, whatever the name is, right, and, and the branches were, you know, supposed to be grown out, like, from up here, but they were grown out from from like way down here. It looks really, really strange. And so one day when, when they were not home, I'm like, I'm gonna love this guy. I'm gonna get out my handsaw, cut the, you know, trim the tree up four or five feet so it's easy for me and him to mow underneath. And and so I did that. I even pulled away the branches. I even took that black spray paint and painted the little stubs. I think that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know, I'm not a tree guy. And um, uh, and uh, you know, I, I was like, man, I am really loving our neighbors well. So, Bill. Is our neighbor, and I saw him a couple days later in the driveway, and uh, he says, I saw, you, I saw you cut my tree, and I'm trying to do the kind of, you know, yeah, you know, go ahead, just go ahead right here, you know, and, uh, and, and he said, well, thanks, but I wish you wouldn't have done that. Um, I, we planted that tree there when we first moved in. We purposely never cut the branches because we really liked the way it looked. It was a memory for us of when we first moved it in. Guys, this stuff happens to me all the time, okay? This is, ask my wife. This is our lives, right? But you know what? It's okay. It's okay because Bill and his wife, they definitely knew we lived next door, right? They knew that we were trying to love them. We did a really poor job of it, but we were trying to love them. God does not want us to be nice neighbors, Amen. He doesn't want us to be just nice neighbors that cordially say hi and don't do anything awkward. He wants us to engage in people's lives because he engaged in ours. That's the motivation, friends. God calls us to that kind of intentionality. He didn't put you in your neighborhood or at your workplace to see what happens. He wants to use you to be intentional, to go to them. And show the love that he's given to you. at great sacrifice to himself. And that's the second point. That's the second point. Gospel um, h- hospitality is intentional. And gospel hospitality s- serves. The best way to show love, the best way to, to show people hospitality is by serving. Serving and sacrifice are interchangeable. So I'm going to use them. They're synonyms. I'm going to use them interchangeably. The more you sacrifice, the more you show hospitality. And and Zacchaeus gave away half of his goods. I mentioned it before. Think about how intentional you'd have to be to give away, for those of you that own a garage in America, how intentional you'd have to be just to get rid of half of the stuff in your garage, right? You know, maybe y'all's garage don't look like ours. Um, uh, Ours looks like, you know, the Narnia door you open. Like, that's, I mean, just to get rid of that stuff, right, would require so much. And Zacchaeus gives away half of his net worth. Can you imagine if Logan or whoever is leading at your campus is playing, and you log on your phone into your bank, and you give away half your net worth to the poor in response to what Jesus has sacrificed and done in your life? And Zacchaeus doesn't stop there. He goes the extra mile and says, anyone that I've defrauded, I will repay four times. Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed by By how Jesus broke into his life that he's motivated to sacrifice. He has to go to them to sacrifice. And what does that say about the the value of Jesus in Zacchaeus' life? It says that Jesus is the best. There's nothing better than Jesus. You want proof? I just gave away half my stuff. I'm going to each person's house who I defrauded. I'm giving them fourfold. He gave away a massive part of, of his life. To show that Jesus was the best. And then Zacchaeus doesn't begrudgingly respond to Jesus. Zacchaeus joyfully sacrifices because Jesus joyfully sacrificed for him. Just like Jesus joyfully sacrificed for us, right? Think about it. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He counted that sacrifice a joy. Jesus... Sacrificed. He could have just, you know, waved to him or had the interaction out by the sycamore tree, but Jesus sacrificed his dignity, his reputation. Some would even say his purity by going into the house of a sinner. Right? Remember how they said he's going into the house of a sinner. He he, he sacrificed all of that, and that's something nobody else did for Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was overwhelmed by the amount of love that he received from Jesus. And you know, notice who Zacchaeus serves. Two groups of people. He he first he he serves a people that he does not know, the poor. He doesn't know the poor that he's given half of his stuff away. So he blesses, he serves and sacrifices for a people he does not know. And then second, he sacrifices and serves a group of people he should have known. Those are our neighbors and and coworkers, friends the people whose lives we should enter into. And again, I'm not saying that to make us feel guilty. The good news is God already knew you were going to mess up last week or however many times, just like he knows I'm going to mess up this coming week. And he says, I've forgiven you 2,500 lifetimes of screw-ups. Now go and bring that good news to the person I put next to you. That's what he wants us to do. So gospel hospitality is intentional Gospel hospitality serves. And last, gospel hospitality should produce a response. Gospel hospitality should create a memory. The impact should be great enough that it creates a memorable moment. You think about the poor person who's begging right on the side of the street. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus comes up to him, hands him his ATM card, right? Here's the the code, 77777, right? Wow, would that create a memory? Or, Or what about the people that he defrauded? Zacchaeus goes to the house, he probably had to go several times because they didn't want to let him in, right? He goes to the house several times they finally open the door and he says, will you please forgive me? And here's four times what I cheated you. And they're going to say, why? Why? Zacchaeus will get the opportunity then to talk about how Jesus broke into his life and loved him when nobody else did. How Jesus was intentional with him. How Jesus served him and and says, now I'm serving you. So, church, how can we be hospitable? Three groups of people I think God wants us to, to show gospel hospitality to. Number one, our neighbors. Number one, our neighbors. Our neighbors and coworkers are the number one reason God has you in the neighborhood you live and the job you have. It's so that you can take what you've been given by God this incredible love through Jesus, and share it with them. That's the number one reason. Wherever you live, wherever you work, that's why you're there, ultimately, is to show that good news. And step one is bringing those people into your house. All of these, I'm sorry, introverts, but all of these applications deal with bringing people into your lives. So find an extrovert friend friend, and, and have a good time, okay? It really, it's opening the door, just knock on their door, and, and I'll, I'll even show, my, my wife and I, we do not have this down. We've lived in our current place for, for three years, and for two years, we had neighbors right next door to us that we didn't have in our house. So we just went to their door and knocked and said, hey guys, um, you know, we're your name, Andy again, I, what's your name? Yeah, okay, and for the like 10th time, right? And, um, uh, and, and hey, would you guys want to come over in the next week or two? Just to have some food with us and get to know each other a little bit better. And they said, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we would love to do that. So they came over, and um, you know we're trying to make it memorable. So the kids made little signs for the door, and we didn't know, you know, and we we ordered out. We got our favorite Indian, you know, um, and we asked, by the way, beforehand if they liked Indian and um, and what spice level and everything, right? So we're trying to make it just like. And then we didn't we forgot to ask like what they like to drink. So we had coffee, tea, um, water, beer, wine, pop. I mean, we th- that's soda, sorry. Um, and and we had all of it. I mean, we opened a small refreshment store in our house okay and they walk in and they gave us some flowers which is really sweet and um and and they kind of chuckled when they saw all this stuff to drink right and um and we said what what's up and they said well we knew you worked with the church so we didn't know if you drank alcohol usually when we come over we bring a bottle of wine and so we laughed about that we had a great evening and the reason i bring that up is not because jamie and i did it perfect we, 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 we didn't have them over for two years, and yet, when we extended, when we were intentional in asking them to come to our house, they joyfully responded with a yes. You know why? Because it's not the norm. It's not the norm to have people in your house. It's not the norm to enter into people's lives. And that norm needs to be crushed with the gospel. That norm needs to be destroyed because of God's radical love for us through Jesus and so sometime this week, maybe even today, today is always the best day to obey. You know that? Just hear God's word and go and do it. That's what, we, that's, the, that's what God wants us to be. Go knock on your neighbor's door. I know it can seem scary or weird, so go before you chicken out, right? Just go over there. And now what's going to be hard is when they don't answer, you're going to have to try to come back later tonight, but just do it anyways, okay? Okay? Get this, church, there are 4,400 units, family units, that make up the Austin Stone. Single people, you're a family unit, okay? Marriage does not complete you, all right? There are 4,400 units, family units, that make up the Austin Stone. If 4,400 of us did this once a month, opened our homes, showed hospitality to people that would come over, neighbors, coworkers, right? Right? And, and you're probably going to have at least two people come over, whether they have other roommates. It's, you know, so let's say we could average two people in our house one time per month. Over the next year, by next summer, over 100,000 people would be shown gospel hospitality. Amen? 100,000, guys! And let's be uber conservative and say that 1% of those responded to Jesus. That would mean there would, would be 1,000 Brand new believers in the last 12 months. We'd think revival hit. And it all started because we decided to open our homes and let people in. Let's be that church. Man, if you're I'd encourage every single person, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time here, do that. Find somebody else, tell them you want to do that, and then keep each other accountable for it. MCs, LTGs, talk in those groups. Do it this year. Once a month. So the 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 first group is neighbors. The second group is nations' neighbors. Nations' neighbors. You knew the nations had to get in there somewhere. According to PeopleGroups.info, there are 176,000 foreign-born people living in Austin. That means that one out of every 11 people in Austin wasn't born in the great nation of Texas. You know what I'm saying? One out of every 11. And and, and we have incredible opportunity because of who God brings to our city. Here's a, here's a picture that wasn't in Texas, sorry, um, but it was in Iowa. That's where I'm from, in this little small town called Muscatine, Iowa, a little over 20,000 people. These four guys, sorry about the poor quality, these four guys are from China. They worked for the, the government doing stuff with agriculture, and they came to Iowa to see how um, it was done in the Midwest, and they stayed. Um, that guy on the left, his name is Mr. Jinping, and Mr. Jinping stayed with Thomas and Eleanor, the couple in the, in the middle in, in the red and white there, he stayed with them for for two days, right? Fast forward 30 years. Here's the current picture of Mr. Jinping shaking the hand of President Obama. Now, why is he shaking the hand? Why is Mr. Jinping shaking the hand of our president? Because he's the president of China. <laughs> he's the president of China, guys. 30 years ago, he was in small town nowhere, Iowa. Staying with this couple that showed him some hospitality. Did you know that the former, pres- the former president of Peru got a degree at UT? The guy that co-found OPEC, you heard of that, the big oil thing, right? That guy got a degree at UT. And yet the reality is 80% of international students that are in our city will never enter into an American home. Simply because nobody asked them. They want to come into your home. I guarantee it. They want to. And, and, and it's not just the leaders of other countries, right? We've got incredible opportunities to, to, to have future influencers in our house, but God cares about the whole spectrum, right? What about the lost and forgotten, the refugees that come into our city? Um, a few months ago when, when the refugee crisis was all over the news, and it's still happening today, that's why we sent a short-term trip there, but it was all over the news. We started praying as a family, God, somehow use our family – to help bless the Syrian refugee crisis. We don't know what that looks like. We just, you know, and so we prayed that for several weeks, kind of forgot about that prayer. And then about a month later, we had uh, a party with our MC. And some of us brought some of the international friends we have. And um, this one um, person that's a part of our MC brought a, uh, a refugee family from Syria. And I didn't even think about it. But later that night, as we were putting the kids to bed, Abigail said, uh, her oldest daughter said, Daddy... Do you know that tonight Syria was sitting on our couch? (sighs) That's what gospel hospitality does. We see Jesus show this diverse hospitality at his birth, right? He had the wise men, the rich, the future leaders, those that had it all together, had tons of influence. And then he had the lowly, right? The shepherds that, that, that most people overlooked. He had people that were not from his country and he had people that were from his country. From his ba- very birth, Jesus wanted to show us what gospel hospitality looks like. Get people in your home or apartment or whatever you have. Get them in there. The third group of people I think God wants us to show hospitality to are our church planners, our church among the nations are goers, right? We've got about 115 goers out among the nations right now today and anywhere from four to 14 of them are back each month for furlough or different reasons. Maybe they're having a baby. I think of um, some friends of ours who were in China the last few years, they're getting ready to come home and have their first child. They need somewhere to stay at the end of the month. They need three months to figure out how to be parents and then they're gonna go back to China, right? They need wheels, they need a car, right? Guess what, you have cars, they need cars, right? It's perfect, and you figure something else out, right? I mean, when our goers come back, it should be like multiple choice, like what color of vehicle do you want? Like what size you want, you know, an Audi SUV or an 08 Corolla, what do you, you know, what do you take, right? They should have options. And the, 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 the third way that we can enter into and bless and, and show hospitality to our goers is by joining an advocacy team. Advocacy teams are, are or A-teams, are, are what we call a group of 6 to 12 people that stay here in Austin and pray for and support people that are overseas. And they get together about once a month, um, and you're going to hear now, you're just going to watch a short three-minute video about one of the gals that we've sent out and what her advocacy team means to her. What an incredible opportunity we have to show hospitality to our goers. So at the end of service, uh, your campus pastor is going to give you a link that where you can uh, jump in and find out how to jump in with folks just like Amy uh, who are around the world or show them love when they come back. Um, remember the last thing that Jesus said to Zacchaeus? Luke 19 verses 9 and 10. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Salvation came to Zacchaeus. That's the why. The reason that Zacchaeus could give hospitality is because he had received gospel hospitality through Jesus. And then Jesus says, since he was also a son of Abraham. And you think back to where did Abraham start on the scene? Back in Genesis 12... This is the first time that we see Abraham, and God says to him, I will bless you and make your name great so that you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. There it is. The reason that we've been blessed, the reason that we've been blessed is so that those around us would be blessed, blessed. both our neighbors and the nations ought to be blessed with the greatness of the gospel that we have received. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to see and work through us so that our neighbors and the nations would know him. Let's pray. God, we just... um, Confess that we need your help. Our, our leaning is toward gospel hoarding. Our leaning is to not be a hospitable people. Our leaning is to just do what we want to do. Our leaning is to, um, to just take the rest of Sunday and have a day off and relax and not go and knock on anybody's door. So, God, I pray right now that you would encourage your church to have courage. Would you fill them with faith, God? Would they step out? of of what seems um, easy and comfortable and step into the opportunities that you've put right before them, God. Help us to be the church, God, that you want us to be. Help us to be the church that loves how we have been loved. Today, God, I pray that many invitations into homes would happen today. We wouldn't wait for tomorrow, but we'd we'd see you do it today. Give us faith to believe that you want to work through us because of how you have broken into our own lives. God, we want to see lots and lots of people in Austin and across the nations worship you. There's nothing better than to know you and to worship you. You have done that in our lives. And so now, God, may we, may we be the people that gets to take it to somebody else. We beg you for this. And the church agreed and said, amen. Amen.